0: Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Pray for One series. This series challenges us as believers to remember our responsibility to prayerfully lift up and lead others to Christ. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. There's a hope in this song, a peace in the song, a significance in this song um, that I think as believers we sometimes take for granted. As Christ followers, I think a lot of times we take a lot of, of the truths of the Scripture and the truths of God's Word for granted, but especially in this song, I mean, if we look at that last verse, if you want to pull that back up, Rachel. It says, And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near, my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. You know, being a musician and and a Christian musician for all these years, I've had the blessing, and I don't want to say the curse, but the the difficult challenge of being involved in doing a lot of music at, at funerals. Um, my whole life, I, mean, I remember when I was in high school, I played. One of my first funerals I ever played was for one of my teachers at Simsbury High School who lost their six-month-old uh, baby. I think it was a, a SIDS um, type of thing. And, you know, try to sing Amazing Grace uh, at a six-month-old baby's funeral. And, and throughout the years, I've, I've had the blessing. Um, but again, the difficult emotional challenge And you all know me, I'm a very emotional person. I I told myself I wasn't gonna cry this morning, but I'm already feeling it, so just get ready. But I've had this challenge, so all, you know, I've played music and and led worship and and given people hope through song. for a couple of even your your relatives and your family and um, in this room and before we had this building. You know, even with Pastor Clark, he's asked often, you know, by the town and, and by the Carmen's Funeral Home to to speak at funerals of people that don't have a church home. And so Clark has sometimes said, hey, would you like to just sing a song or two? And so the song's like, I Will Rise, or uh, I Can Only Imagine. You know, I played funerals for for kids and for old people. And I remember this song especially has a, a personal tie. You know, I sang this song at my, my grandfather funeral uh, not too long ago but I can say that most funerals, probably 95% of the funerals I've played over my life, this has been a joyous occasion because if you know the truth of the gospel, you know that if you have Jesus Christ living in you, if you've accepted that gift of grace, then death is not the end but it's the beginning of an amazing everlasting life with Jesus in heaven and so there's this hope that that families cling on to at funerals as, as the passing of a loved one that this isn't it, especially if that family has Jesus as as their Savior, then we know that one day we'll see them again. But we know that they'll be singing praises 10,000 years and forevermore, that the eternity is sealed like in Christ alone, that no no scheme of hell, nothing can pluck us, no power of man can pluck us from the, the hand of our Father. But again, I think that in this song, in the truths of these songs that we declare, being a worship leader, worship songs are very close to my heart and the words are very close and I pray over these songs week after week. But I think in my daily life, I, I totally take for granted what these mean. But over the past couple of months, uh, I was involved in something that really brought a new light uh, to this song and, and, and also just to the gospel in general. You know, a couple months ago, um, I think it was two months ago, I was asked to help, you know, play at a funeral for somebody who actually ended up becoming a local celebrity. Um, You can throw his picture up, Rachel. There's this 10-year-old boy. His name was Logan. And uh, a lot of you in this church I've seen on Facebook, a lot of you knew Logan, knew his family um you know i was asked i actually did not personally know logan I, I knew his story a lot of you've seen his story on online or on the news he was on espn he was featured because you know he, he has struggled with cancer for most of his life i think seven years of his life Um, He was 10 when he passed away Um, You know, but in the make-a-wish thing he loved the Patriots. He loved Tom Brady And So this was a kid that got to meet Tom Brady and ESPN did this special I think actually this might be a rumor, but we'll go for it I think that when he had one of his surgeries he actually had Tom Brady's number etched on his skull Which is kind of gruesome now that I say it out loud, but it's also epic and amazing And so it kind of tells you a little bit about this kid and so I'm at this funeral and You know, there's nothing that's easy about a 10-year-old boy's funeral. But we played this song, and thank God I didn't have to sing because I'm even getting choked up now. I mean, I I was just playing the drums in the back and just helping a friend of mine who was doing the music. It was at the barn. And uh, as we're playing this song, we played this song. And I had this perspective where I was sitting, and the family was right in the front row, like 10 feet away, and I watched... The mom and the dad and the sister and the, and the family and the closest friends of this 10-year-old boy. And of course they were grieving. I mean, there's nothing, you know, biblically it's okay to grieve. But I watched the, the hope and the peace that the words of this song, the truth of the scripture that this, this song was written after, I watched that overcome them. Man, mean, I've never met a stronger man and woman in my life than the parents of this 10-year-old and they got up and they talked about the love of Jesus and this mom, this powerhouse mom got up not a tear in her eyes and she says, you know what, this isn't it. Logan's not suffering anymore, but instead it, he's with Jesus in, in heaven and, and, and they're talking about stuff and it's, it's this thing and we'll see him again. There was that reality and that joyous thing that, that again, as, as much as it's a, a difficult and devastating situation that, that they're gonna miss their son and that many of you will miss their son that you knew him, there's this reality that one day they'll be singing praises with Logan with their son again in heaven. But I had this moment at this funeral that really completely wrecked a lot of how I look at the world and how I look at ministry and how I look at my theology and all these different things because I was sitting there and and God gave me this this weird vision and this, this thing that he put on my heart in that moment that has changed me from that moment on and it wasn't that long ago. Because I have this thought how do the families that don't have the saving faith in Jesus, how do those families deal with these situations? And it breaks my heart, and you're going to see this all day, so I apologize already, but this is such a message and such a word that's so important because I can't imagine a family that doesn't have this hope that their little boy is going to be in heaven with Jesus and the, or a family that lost a loved one or, or a husband that lost a wife or vice versa or a family like this. I can't imagine losing my grandfather without realizing that I'm going to see him again. And the Lord put the urgency of the gospel on my heart that day in a way that he never has before. Excuse me. And you know, I mean, I get be here all the time, and I challenge us to go be Jesus to people. And that's like my thing. I'm always one that's always pushing and challenging, and so is Clark. And that's the goal of our church. But so many times we get distracted and we forget that there are so many people in our lives that don't know Jesus. And so that moment, that moment in my life, (laughs) that moment in my life, I I truly said it right. I get it now. I get the urgency of the gospel. Because I've heard that term, and many of you probably have as well, but the urgency of the gospel, and it clicked for me in that moment. If I don't want, if if, if anything that I can do, I want to prevent any mom and dad from having to go through that without knowing that they're going to see their, their kid again. I want to prevent any husband from going through that without the realization because a lot of people just realize guys and maybe some of you in this room just think that when you die it's over and that's it and that is a a very difficult reality and then as Christians and we'll talk about this in a second we actually believe something that is actually even worse than that but it's the reality of what God's Word said and so this morning I'm gonna pray in a second we're gonna dive right in but I wanted to grab your hearts right away because this is important church this morning this is a new season that we're entering in. We really, I actually, I actually really, as Clark and I've been praying for this. I really wanted him to to share this word as our senior pastor, but he's out of town this week because this is a thing that Clark and I, the elder board, our leadership, our staff, that we're all going to be going towards with full steam, especially as Easter comes. Saying what at Valley Brook can we do to embody the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing that can bring hope in this broken board. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for, we thank you that Logan knew you. We thank you that his parents know you. Father, we thank you that because of that reality, we know that Logan's not suffering anymore, but he's praising you in heaven forevermore. And that if we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, we'll see him again. And Father, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak through me to the hearts of every person in this congregation. That your gospel would become so clear. Father, that your word would be truth in our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the scripture that we're going to focus on this morning, you know, we're starting a new series. um, It's not actually just a series, but it's a new season. And it's called Pray for One. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what that that is practically a little bit later. And you all see a card. so You can you might be cheating and you see a card in, in, a, in your bulletin. But just put that aside for right now. We'll get there in a second. But in this series, basically, you know, we're, we're talking about as a church, as Valleybrook, not just in the next three weeks, but in this next season, in the, in the next season of our church, how can we refocus ourselves? Not about who we are, but about how amazing God is, number one. But number two, we focus ourselves on the need to reach North Granby, Granby, Suffield, Granville, this whole Farmington Valley, Massachusetts region, this state, New England, this nation, and the world. Because I think it's really easy sometimes, especially being in leadership as a church, it's really easy to focus on some trivial things that aren't sinful, that aren't necessarily bad things, but it's really easy to focus on these things and lose track that everything in the life of a believer, don't miss this, everything in the life of the believer should be seen and done through the lens of the gospel and the Great Commission. So we see that in the book of Acts, you know, again, if, if you don't know, I'll kind of sum up right before where this happens, but you know, we, we, we know Jesus came and he walked on the earth and then in, in the gospels, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this amazing account you know, from these different writers that was divinely inspired. We see this amazing account of Jesus' ministry on earth. You know, Jesus lived for about 33-ish years, you know, but it wasn't until he was 30 that he started actually doing ministry. That was the rule of the time that, you know, a rabbi didn't teach until they were 30 years old. And so when he was 30, we see Jesus starting to function. We see him, you know, baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit comes onto him. And then we see this epic account of stories of Jesus. We see people raised from the dead. We see people being healed, blind eyes open. We see amazing, unbelievable things happen. And in this whole story, Jesus has his posse of guys, these 12 guys that he's traveling around with, them, the disciples later called the apostles, and he's traveling around with these guys, teaching them, because he knew what was going to happen. And towards the end of the Gospels, you see Jesus kind of beginning to hint to these guys that, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. You're going to be the church, and you're going to be in all these things, and he's basically training them and equipping them, knowing that he's going to ascend into heaven, and it was their role then to continue his work. And so we see this amazing thing that happened, and, and then again, we know the story. Jesus died upon the cross, and he led a sinless life, and he was crucified and, and beaten and, and, and just completely humiliated and hung upon this cross. And he died, and he took the weight of our sins upon his shoulders. But then three days later, he rose again triumphantly, which is what we celebrate on Good Friday and then Easter, which is coming up in a, in a month, which is exciting. But here in this, then, we see these a couple accounts, you know, in the end of the, the gospel, some of the gospels, and then the beginning of Acts, where Jesus then, after he rises again, he then kind of makes appearances to his friends and his family. And, and he, he basically, there's this couple times, and it was probably a little, I feel like he was kind of playing with them at some points, like once he shows up on the shore, and, like, and, and so he roses again, he's talking, he gives them these final instructions. But as we know, the last words of a man are always super important. Always very important. The last words we hear. All these stories of you know men on their deathbed and women on their deathbed, and the last thing that they utter, and it changes you know other people around them's lives. But the last thing, as Jesus knows, he's going to send up into heaven. We see this last account that he has with his his twelve disciples, his apostles. At this time, we see it in Acts one, and we're going to read just this whole scripture, but we're going to focus on a certain part today. Acts one, one through ten says this. In my for- former book. Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Bap- John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse six says, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates of the Father or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After, this, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. So we have this crazy account where this this and this was probably again a pretty intense situation where Jesus is ascending but right before he ascends he basically gives the last like nugget of wisdom to these guys. Because again he knows this is the early church and if we read on into Acts, you know they they wait in the upper room, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit comes, they are equipped and then they go out and, and thousands upon thousands. I mean this was a revival like we've never seen thousands upon thousands were saved, and we see them in these churches, and we meet Paul, and and we see then the books of Corinthians and all these other things. But in this last moment, you know, I think th- there's a lot of times if you've read the Gospels that the, the disciples kind of missed the point. You know, we see a lot of times where they're with Jesus, and, and they're just like dumb guys sometimes, and so they missed the point, and they're not listening. And so, like, this is, I think, one of those times where Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and this is also not the first time that we see him talk about Go and and be my witnesses. Go and make disciples. I mean, that's a familiar passage that we read in Matthew and the other Gospels that we call the Great Commission. That we are commissioned to go and make my disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So we're familiar with that, and so Jesus has already talked about this, but he's reiterating this now with these disciples right before he goes into heaven. But right before he says that, they ask him this question. This is kind of one of those moments I think Jesus had where they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because this whole time, Jesus is equipping these guys to go and be the gospel. Jesus is equipping these guys to go and, and perform signs and wonders and, and move in the Holy Spirit and tell people about the saving grace through the cross. But they kind of ask, they, they miss it, and they say, hey, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom you know, of Israel? Is this the time you're going to come down and you're going to come and just like fix everything that's wrong? because they were more worried about the political stuff that was going on. They were more worried about the suffrage that was going on practically on the earth than they were about the commission that Jesus gave them previously. And so Jesus refocuses them. And he says, it's not for you to know that, because we'll never know that. It's not for you to try to figure out the times and the date that the Father is the only one that knows. But instead, he refocuses them from the things that didn't matter at the time They weren't bad things. I mean, the the second coming of the Lord is, is going to be an amazing thing. They weren't bad things, but he refocuses them from the things that didn't matter, that shouldn't have been in their minds. He refocuses them to their goal, their mission, which was number one, the Holy Spirit will come and equip you, and number two, you then will go and be my witnesses. That order is very important. The Holy Spirit will come, and you'll be my witnesses, and then he goes up. The last words of Jesus says, hey, church, because we all know that this early church was the beginning. These 12 guys were the beginning in the lineage of what we see now here at Valley Brook. In my mind, we are an extension that Jesus is saying, hey, don't be worried about all these other trivial things, but instead, go and be love. Go and be Jesus to the world. All the world. I think sometimes as a church we can get caught up in the, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel stuff? You know, even if you look at kind of what's happening in our culture right now in the world, I think we'd rather sometimes focus on politics, on strategies, on buildings, on the color of paint that we painted the wall in the lobby. There was many, many comments about the color of paint in the lobby. Theology or doctrine or all these things, these aren't bad things, but when we put them at a higher importance or priority than the gospel, than the command that we're all given as Christ followers, then they become distractions. Does that make sense? Man, you guys are quiet this morning. Does that make sense, church? There we go. Jesus knew the gospel was urgent, which is why he refocused the disciples. You can see that. And the whole time he was teaching and walking, he was always refocusing and nudging them back to, you know what? These things aren't important. You know, power isn't important. Stature isn't important. No, instead, you need to go and serve and love because you are the plan. I hate the term, we're plan, you know, we're plan B, because that kind of insinuates that God messed up, like the plan A didn't work out, whoops, and so now, now you're plan B. No, we are plan A. The plan for the gospel for today is the church, is you and it's me. But where do we get distracted? Jesus knew that they were families like Logan's who didn't have saving faith. See, Jesus knew these things. He knew that there were people that were going to pass away that did not have saving faith. And so he said, hey, guys, you know, again, these trivial things don't matter. We need to reach people with the good news because this is life or death. This is eternal life or eternal death. You know, I was in Colombia. Um, I, I tell stories from this all the time, but there's just a lot of great stories from my trip to Colombia a couple years. I went with this organization, Come and Live, and really our goal was just to be loved to people. We really had no um, agenda but just to go and pray for people and and show people the power and the love of Jesus Christ. And we were in Medellin, which is this beautiful, beautiful city in Colombia. It had a really tough history. That's where, um, you know, the, the cartel and Pablo Escobar and that whole thing kind of originated out of Medellin. It's not there anymore. But God's doing amazing things now in this city. And so we went to Medellin, and we were doing a conference, and it was at this beautiful, gorgeous church you know, as you, a lot of places you know, in, in South America, but especially in this area, are kind of basins where there's like the cities in this basin and then it's surrounded by mountains. And this church was at the top of this gorgeous mountain. I mean, it had this beautiful, like the size of this wall, stained glass window. And then you could open the doors, the front of the church, and look out and you saw all of Medellin. Like gorgeous, gorgeous mountain as a countryside. I mean, I, my breath has taken away just thinking about it. And so we're doing a conference, and this was the second city that we had been to. We've been going hard every single night. This was actually the last night of the last—we were in Medellin for this last night, last conference night. We are going to fly back to Bogota, take a day off, and then, you know, go back to the States and, and come home. And so I think this was day 9 or day 10, and so we were just wiped. Again, we wanted to take advantage of every time that we had. And so we're at this church, and we're doing this this time of ministry, and, you know, the, the band's playing, and I am just completely wiped. Like, if you've ever been on a missions trip, and, and Rob, I, you probably feel this quite a bit, you know that, that you, like, kind of hit this wall at the missions trip where you're like, all right, <laughs> I'm done being Jesus to people. I just need to, like, shut down for a second, go on Facebook, just do my, me and my wife, we call it my nothing box. I'm just going to go and, like, just do nothing for a second, not think, not focus. I was just emotionally and spiritually exhausted. I was wiped out. And so I, I'm kind of, like, just super selfish in this moment. And so I, I'm walking around, and, and the band's playing. We have a ministry team. We kind of all took turns, and I wasn't on the, the ministry team. Excuse me, this was my, my, my night off, my day off, basically, that night. And so I'm just kind of sitting in the back of the room, back of the church, listening. You know, I'm on my phone, I'm just kind of, like, really just missing what God is doing completely. But I was t- in my head, I was tired. I was resting. You know, I even used the excuse, this was my Sabbath. And I, there's this group of kids, and the doors to the church were open. This was later on in the afternoon, so the sun was still up. And there's this group of kids out in front of the church on the street, and they were all skateboarding. And this was a ragtag-looking group of kids. I mean, these were, like, it's, sometimes it's easy to reach certain, like, demographs of people. Like, when you go and pray for people, like, sometimes it's easy to, like, go and pray for the, the little homeless woman. Like, that's an easy one because, you know, you know that she's going to feel blessed and whatever. But, like, teenage boys— who you can tell are punks. They're a difficult, and I I was a student pastor. David can attest to this. Punk teenage boys are hard to reach for Jesus. Amen, church? And so it was, I was just nervous about this. And so I'm like, so part of me is like, I don't want to, this is going to take work because I know that they're going to be jerks about it. I know that they're going to come back at me with stuff. I know that they're going to be ridiculous. So I completely wrote it off. And these kids are riding around. And, you know, again, they were not there for the conference. They just lived in the town. You know, they're, they're all smoking their cigarettes. They were probably 13, 14 years old. They were all just, you know, just being punks, you know, and you could just tell they were trouble. You know, my, my wife calls them the youths and we're not that old, but we have some in our neighborhood, and she calls them the youths. But, so there were these youths outside, and, and I'm completely missing it. And the Lord, like, smacked me over the head, and he says, stop wasting your time. Don't miss this. And so I'm like, no, I'm good, God. Like, I, I wrestle with the Lord often. I argue with God quite a bit. I lose a lot as well. Um, but so I'm, so I'm, like, having this argument with God. Like, I-, I am tired, God. This is my Sabbath. Like, we've seen all, like, these dozens of kids come to know Christ. We baptized 40 kids in Bogota. Like, is that not enough for, like, one week? Can I just, like, take a moment for myself, God? Like, I'm literally, like, arguing my selfishness to God. Like, thinking he's like, eh, yeah, you're right, Dan. Never mind. I didn't realize you did so much. Like, you're good. He did not say that. And so instead, the Lord's like, you got to go. And so I'm like, oh. So I grabbed my, my interpreter that was with me. They they all spoke Spanish. I do not. I try and it's really bad. Um, and so I grabbed my interpreter. Her name is Lena Maria. she's a really good. She's become a great friend. And she's also carries this cool motherly heart to her. So it was a kind of a cool combination. So we go outside. I look at Lena. I'm like Lena, I don't want to do this, but let's just go. And and so we went outside and re- we started talking to these guys. And I have a little street cred. Because of my tattoos, because of my, well, I don't have piercings anymore, my earrings and all these things. There's, like, a little street cred to where, like, I'm not, like, this, you know, middle-aged mom that walks up and they think that they're going to get yelled at. Like, they were, they were a little intrigued as to what I had to say. And so I just started to talk to them, and I started to pray over them, and the Lord put some, some stuff on my heart to share with them. And so we kind of all started talking, and, you know, I sh- share with them how I tried once in my life to skateboard, and it just was a bad idea. And they're like, show us. And I'm like, I tried, and I fell. And it was just this whole thing. So I'm building this relationship with these boys, and the Lord, as I'm doing this, highlights one of the guys so specifically to me. This little 13-year-old, he looked like he was 10, little 13-year-old kid, just raggedy kid, you can tell his family had nothing. And the Lord said, it's him. I'm like, what does that mean, God? He said, it's him. And so all the guys are still skateboarding. and I, But this kid was kind of like, you could tell he was like a little hesitant. You could tell he was going through stuff. And so the Lord highlighted this kid to me. Um, His name was Miguel. And so I go up to Miguel and I said, hey. I didn't know his name at that point. That would have been awesome, though. Hey, Miguel. <laughs> but <laughs> it's happened. But um, so I go up to him like, hey, bro, like, you know, how are you? My name's Dan. I'm here, you know, with, with Come and Live, and I'm just kind of explaining this whole thing. And he's just giving me nothing. But there's something about him that was different. Like there was something about him I could tell he had a weight, like the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like I could just tell. You know, when you're talking to somebody, you can just tell and especially again working in student ministries, like student pastors have this like this gift. To just know when students are going through stuff, and so do parents. That's a, that's a parent thing. Like, you have, a, you have a gift. You know when you're, you can't always identify it, but you know when your kids are going through stuff. And so I, I pull them aside, and I'm like, hey, bro. And, and the Lord, I, again, I didn't have some magical word for him. I just hey, man, I just want to let you know, like, I love you. And I have this, this awesome friend named Jesus who loves you, too. And, and I started just speaking scriptural truth over him. I started talking about his identity and how God created him. I was speaking out of Psalms, and I'm like, you know, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and, and God knits you together in your mother's room. And, like, like, the Lord has given me all these cool, sc- and I'm getting pumped up, and I, I get pumped up very easily, as you can see. So I'm getting pumped up, and I'm just talking to him about this, and you can just start seeing the tears streaming down his face. 13-year-old skater boys do not cry. But there's something about Miguel, and so I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking truth over him, and it was so cool. I said, Lena had this motherly spirit. She's not a mom, she's, you know, but she had this, carried this, like, motherly heart, and so she's speaking, I'm, she's, I'm speaking the words, and then she's translating them in a way that I could have never. Like, she's like, there's this motherly heart about her that he could just tell that this kid felt love in a way that he never had before. And so then he started talking to us and he started explaining. And basically, he said, and I would not make this up, but he said he's been struggling. You know, he was abused by his parents, the house that he lives in, which is kind of an epidemic in the city. The the world's a little different there. He was abused by his parents. Basically, his mom and dad told me it was always going to be nothing. That, you know, he he did horrible in school. I think he had some learning disabilities. and, And so, literally, he just was like kind of pushed out of the family and shoved aside. I mean, he wasn't homeless, he still lived with them, but it was kind of like the Cinderella thing in my mind. And so, you know, he, but basically he said, you know what, I've, I've been suicidal for, for weeks, and he said, I prayed this morning, don't miss this church, I prayed this morning that God, if you're real, you need to show yourself to me, because if not, I'm gonna take my life tonight. He prayed that morning, God, if you are real, show yourself to me. Because if you're not, I'm going to take my life tonight. In that moment, you can throw up that picture, Rachel. In that moment, that little kid, Miguel, came to know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. How many times, how many times do we get distracted by the trivial things, by the selfish things, by the, you know what, I've, I've worked really hard, or i spent all this time at my job, or I've done all these things, that we miss the moments, we miss the Miguel's. Church, I'm not trying to guilt you, and I think it's bad theology to say, if you miss sharing the, the word with somebody, and they die, and they go to hell, it's your fault, that's not of the Lord, that is Satan trying to screw this up, because guilt is not of Jesus, it was broken by the cross. But what I am trying to do is put a passion, a, a heart cry on each one of your hearts that I am now feeling that these tears are showing that the gospel is urgent and it's important and it saves lives, that it transforms. This kid is now, I mean, he's grown up. I follow him on Facebook. That's the beauty of Facebook. You know, he's a, he's a skateboarder. He's still rackety <laughs> looking, and but, you know, he's he's living in a group home, and it's just a really great, he's, a, you know, he's still struggling, but his life is transformed by this little nugget of wisdom saying, hey, Jesus loves you. That's how it started. That was it. It wasn't like, hey, let me tell you about my theology degree. It wasn't all these different things like, hey, here's my pastor's card. No, it was like, hey, dude, Jesus loves you, and I love you. He sees you. The urgency of the gospel is this. Romans 3.23 says this, and I just want to skim this because this is important. I think as a church sometimes we forget the gospel, the reality of the gospel. Romans 3.23, this is the Romans road. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. None of us are worthy. We are all broken. We are born into sin because of the original sin of Adam. And then Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, the punishment. What we deserve is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I've, I have some friends that are struggling with the concept of hell right now, but if you look at Scripture, Scripture is very clear. Revelation 20:15, and anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Romans 21, 8, but cowards, those who refuse to believe, who do evil things, who kill, who sin sexually, who do evil magic, who worship idols and who tell lies, all these will have a place in the lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The reality of the gospel that we see in the book of Romans and we see throughout the Bible is that we are all sinners, we are all not worthy, but there's this man named Jesus who is God incarnate, who walked, who lived, who died upon the cross, who rose again to break sin. But if we don't know him, then we'll spend eternity in hell when we die. See, there's this this dynamic in the church where we don't want to be these fire and brimstone teachers of like, you know, turn or burn and like, you know, like I do not believe in the evangelism of walking up to a stranger and going, hey, where are you going to go when you die? Like, I've never had that work for me ever. If you do that, more power to you, I would ask you to maybe challenge and change your ways a little bit, honestly, because it's not effective. But instead, what we've done as a church is we've completely reverted to the other polarization, which is this. I'm not going to talk about hell because I don't want to freak people out. But here's the thing. You can't understand the glory and the amazingness of heaven if you don't realize what you're being saved from. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love towards us in that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, that I say about a lot of verses in the Bible. Romans 10, 13 through 15. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call upon the one that they have not believed in? How then can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. See, after this whole Romans road, it ends with, but how are they going to know? I think a lot of times we, we, we put this role upon other people when not realizing that our role as Christ followers is we're the ones that are sent. Don't let the word, I think a lot of times in this translation in NIV it says preach, don't let the word preach think that you have to be a preacher to preach. That's not what that means. But it basically means, how can people know, how can the world, how can the Miguel's of the world know that they have a heavenly Father who loves them, who died for them, and who has this free gift of grace if nobody has told them? Paul's a great example of this because it wasn't a guilt-driven thing for Paul. Again, that's, I'm not trying to guilt you into spreading the gospel message. That's not of the Lord. But Paul sums this up really well in 1 Corinthians. It says, Telling the good news is my duty. It's something I must do. And how terrible would it be if I did not tell the good news? But he also said this, Romans 9, 2 through 3. He says, I have great sorrow and always feel much sadness. I wish I could help my Jewish brothers and sisters, my people. I would even wish that I were cursed and cut off from Christ, that I would be able to help them. See, Paul in these two verses has this really cool dynamic. Well, at first he said, well, of course, I'm going to share the gospel. Like, it wasn't even a thought to not do that. Like that was all of who Paul was. But in the second one in Romans 9, we have a glimpse into his motivation. His motivation was his heart was broken for people that were lost, people that did not know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It literally says, "I have great sorrow and always feel much, much sadness," because he was always reverted back to "There's more." It's not like, you know, twice a year you can share the gospel on Christmas and Easter and then we're done. There's always more work that needs to be done. There's always people. I mean, you can think of people in your life easily who don't know Jesus Christ. There's always more work to be done. So now to this. This is my fun illustration. I need, we're gonna, we've never done this before, I need five volunteers. I know there's six chairs. Cheers. It's symmetry, Dawn. I need i I'm gonna pick you if you don't raise your hand. So, all right, come on up, come on up, come on, ladies, come on. Misty, come on up. Awesome. Grab a grab a chair anywhere besides one of the back ones, and then put on your fire hat, please. I have extras in case you want one later. Don't don't worry. <laughs> Missed, you gotta come up here. Sorry. There you go. Here, I got you. There you go. See, what I hear a lot when it, when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to fulfilling the mission of God is, well, it takes a certain wiring to do that. Or that's for... The professional Christians. That's for Pastor Clark. That's for Dan. That's for the elder board. That's for Rob because he's a missionary. So he's certified and qualified. And a lot of times we, we miss and we put the responsibility of the gospel on people that are wired a certain way or that look a certain way or that are educated a certain way. And so this is an illustration. I think this is fun. I hope this works. We'll see. So I'm going to give you, this is a fire truck, Brian. I looked this up on Google. If I butcher it, you can talk to me later. I mean, Google's pretty much the truth. So I, it's actually on Wikipedia. So mm, this might be weird. So this is a fire truck, okay? Now I'm gonna give you all. <laughs> this is what I Wikipediaed. So Brian, again, now I'm feeling super self-conscious. I was hoping you were not gonna be here so you could call me on it. I'm gonna give you all different roles because on a fire truck, there's different roles. People have different roles, just like in, in businesses and companies. But on a fire truck, people have different roles, okay? So here's your role. You. You're the driver. I had to figure out which side the wheel was on. So you're gonna be the driver. So your role is, is to drive, good, awesome. Don't forget your role, so remember it. Okay, your role, <laughs> Brian, is it called to ride the seat? Is that a real thing? You know, captain's chair, we're gonna call it ride the seat because that's what Wikipedia said. So so your role is <laughs> to ride, captain's chair sounds better. You're right. So you're, you're gonna be, in, in the sake of this, you're gonna be the assistant chief. So, so congratulations on your promotion. So you're in charge of the, the engine, and you're in charge of the scene, okay? So that's, that's your role. Your role, you're the nozzle man. So you're, so you're, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. You're the nozzle man because you, you ride behind the assistant chief, which is important apparently, and your role is to stretch out the line, which I'm thinking is the hose. I'm assuming the line is the hose. It's a you know, fire term for those of you that no no. And so your, your job is to you know, stretch the line wherever the chief directs. You got it? Okay. You are the utility man. Well done. So you're you're gonna ride it. This is apparently called the jump seat. Who knows? And your job is to get the line stretched out, to knock all the kinks out, to break the line and connect it to the engine. So you're basically manage the line and connect it to the engine. Got it? Last but not least, your role. You're the hydrant man. That's good. So your role is you're gonna work the hydrant and follow orders. So that's what, it was a really long roll, so I summarized it. You're going to work the, you're going to follow the orders. All right. So now, now, let's see how, how well we did. So what's your purpose? Okay, how are you? I'm in charge of everything. Okay, what's your purpose? I'm working out the line and hooking it up today. Okay, good. What's your purpose? I'm getting the line out. Good. What's your purpose? I uh, work the hydrant and I follow orders. Good. You're all wrong. You have different roles, but your purpose is to put out a fire. Go, ah, there it is. See, here's the thing, though. As silly and stupid as this is, what happens is we all get so concerned about our our roles and our different things and our different wirings and the different places that we are that we forget that our main goal throughout all this is to put out the fire. Now, the roles are important. You can ask Brian. If if nobody's in charge, it it would go crazy. If somebody doesn't man the line, the whole, like, I mean, all hell would break loose. But here's the thing is that if we forget the main purpose is to put out the fire, if us as believers forget that you might have a pastor, you might have, you know, a youth pastor, but then you have accountants, you have construction people, you know, you have stay-at-home moms, dads, stay-at-home parents we have all these different roles that are important but in the end our whole goal our purpose on this earth is to share the gospel thank you give it up for my lovely fire you can't keep the hats I'm sorry so I want you to take out these cards because we're going to bring this to a close here this morning coming full circle with this now we know the gospel is urgent Now we know the weight of the gospel that if you have Jesus Christ, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, if you've accepted his perfect gift of grace, then you are saved and you will spend eternity in heaven. But we know that if you haven't, that if you haven't heard, that if, if you haven't accepted that, that you'll spend eternity away from God in hell. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is my challenge to our church in this season. Not just today, but in this season. Because a lot of people say I'm not equipped, I'm not ready. I don't know what I'm—I mean, commonly, especially working with students, but honestly more also working with adults, I don't know enough Scripture. I hear that a lot. What if somebody asks a question that I don't know? You know, I don't have time. You know, I I don't—I'm not really good at talking to people. I'm introverted. These are a list of Excuses. I'm calling it what it is. This is an exhortation now. Those are a list of excuses because we are all called and commanded to go and be witnesses to all the nation. And so if we're not doing so, then brothers and sisters in Christ, we are sinning. There's two types of sin, sins of commission, the ones that we do, and sins of omission, the when we don't follow the commands that God asks us to. So every single time we push off things, every single time we, we, we say, well, that's, that's meant for the professionals or I'll bring them to church, but besides that, that's it. I'm gonna let Clark do it, or Dan, or or one of the pastors. Every time we push off being the gospel to people, being love to people, we miss our call and our command in our lives. The last scripture for this morning, John 14, 12, says this. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things Than these, because I am going to the Father. I don't think that, I think, you know, if you look at the original Greek, I don't think greater necessarily meant quality, but I think it meant more quantity of greater things, meaning Jesus' influence was in a small geographic area, but we have an influence. I mean, if you look at every person in this room, all 200-ish of you, and you look at the people in your life that you have an actual impact on, There'd be thousands of people represented in this room. The influence just from this morning is so great. And I think that, again, we went back and I said, remember it. If you look back at the original scripture, Acts 1, it says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be witnesses. The moment that you come to salvation in Jesus Christ, which I'm assuming most of you in this room are, have, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and you are equipped. That's it. All these other things, the Bible schools and studying and discipleship, that's all extremely important. I'm not discounting that in any way. But the moment that the Holy Spirit indwells you, look at me. You are equipped. You are challenged. And you are commanded. Because Jesus wouldn't send us to do things that we weren't ready to do. So this card, this is the essence of Pray for One. And we're going to do this right now. The essence of pray for one is this. God, give me one person to share your love with. That's it. And it's imperative that we don't overcomplicate what this is. Because what this is, is this is us saying we are going to be intentional about being love to somebody who doesn't know Jesus. This week, this month, this year. And every week, church, we're going to pray this prayer. I would challenge you every day for you to pray this prayer. But this morning, there's going to be some accountability to it for yourself, not for us. These are cards for you. But we're going to all pray that together. So pray it with me. We're going to say it out loud. Say, God, give me one person. Oh, my goodness. God, give me one person to share your love with. Now, I'm going to do it again. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to pray that. God, give me one person to share your love with. Whoever just came to your mind, I want you to write that, their name on the card. Chris is gonna close the service with a song and as we're doing that, I want you to pray for this person right now. And this is somebody, let me, disclaimer, I forgot to say this. This is somebody who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We can pray and love Christians, yes, that's awesome. That's what the body of Christ is, is for in a lot of ways, but this is specifically for somebody who would not identify as a Jesus, loving Christian. Somebody that's walking with the Lord. Or not walking with the Lord, but that's been saved. This is somebody who's lost. So take a moment as Chris sings a song and we'll wrap it up and I'll send you out on your way. But I want you to, to pray for this person. Write their name down. Pray for this person right now. Father, that's our prayer this morning. Would you do this? Would you take your card and hold it out like this? Father, we commit that we will be Jesus to this person. Father, we repent for the times when we get distracted and and we miss opportunities to be Jesus in the flesh to everybody around us. Father, we pray that you would equip us, that you would speak through us, that you would help us to love people into your kingdom. Lord, that we would begin living our lives through the lens of your gospel. And God, I just pray right now that every person written down on this card would just feel you in this moment, that their hearts would stir. And God, we pray that every single person, we pray big prayers, every single person written down on these cards this morning will come to a saving faith in your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So may we be people that love. May we not miss opportunities to be the gospel. And may, in all that we do and all that we walk and all that we say and all that we breathe, do through the lens of the loving grace of Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Go in peace.